Hello and welcome to the Bristol to Beijing podcast. I'm Luke Grenfellshaw and I'm cycling from Bristol to Beijing on my tandem Chris. I left Bristol in January 2020 and it's fair to say it hasn't been straightforward so far. As I continue my expedition, I want to share the journey with you. And each episode, I'll be sharing my thoughts and experiences from the past week on the road. And occasionally, I'll also be chatting with someone who can shed some light on the country I'm in as I try and understand the world a little better. So, without further ado, what's happened this past week? Hello, Luke. So, let's start with a question that we've been sent through from Irfan, who wants to know, where are you right now? I am super happy to say, as much as I loved Azerbaijan, I am no longer in Azerbaijan. It was time to leave. I am in Kazakhstan. I'm in Aktau city on the coast of the Caspian. And so on Wednesday midnight, I arrived in the shores of Kazakhstan. And so the ride is well and truly back on the road. And I've been amazed at the the energy I've got from it because as I said before it's not about getting to Beijing but equally it's not about spending an interminable amount of time in one place yeah. and so just to be doing some cycling again it's almost like fresh water like washing over you <laughs> okay so you're back on the bike how does that hmm. feel other than fresh water well it's quite funny you're saying fresh water because actually there's been a lot of sweat involved it has been a market change between Azerbaijan, which is on the west side, near the mountains of the Caspian Sea, and then now very much in the steppe, Central Asia, which is a semi-arid area, it's now 35 degrees, blazing sun all day, it's really hot. And you know, it's now the kind of weather, you go outside for a bit, if you go for a run, you just come back and you're glistening with sweat. So it's, it's that kind of change, and I'm now drinking a hell of a lot of water on the bike. So is it uncomfortably hot being on the bike no it's not uncomfortably hot it does add an extra physical challenge mm. and it's only going to get hotter yeah and i think it's going to have a lot of impact as well about you know i'm going through a very sparsely populated area from here on in for about a thousand kilometers or something water is going to be an issue and it hasn't been an issue up till now so that's what i was going to ask you is you're in a city at the moment in Aktau, but where next? What's what's the route going from here? Right. So kind of going up north a little bit and then heading east, which will take me on this small road, which is reputedly terrible quality. And uh, that's mm-hmm. going to take me into Uzbekistan and a place that no one, unless you're from Uzbekistan, will have heard of called Nukus. But then to much more well-known places, Kiva, Bukhara and Samarkand. So very much the, the beating heart as fossilised as it might be of the old Silk Roads. So do you expect that you'll be passing through towns, villages as you cycle? Yes. However, there will be a a stretch of road between Beynau, which is sort of the last town in Kazakhstan, and Nukus, I think is something like 500 kilometres off the top of my head. And there's like one town, two towns. No, not not even a town, sorry, like a village, like a, a hamlet. Not a small stretch of road and no human habitation, how are you going to cope? How will you eat, drink? How will you survive that stretch? I don't actually know. Um, I mean, I I know I will, but I don't quite know what it's going to be like. 
The thing I'm most concerned about is water and whether I'll be able to get water mm. en route because I've only, as I said, one day cycling in Kazakhstan already and I drank, I don't know, triple what I would usually drink. Okay. Getting on for at least five litres just on the bike. Yeah. And so if I need to sort of have the supplies to have water for mm, two or three days, mm. that's going to be a lot of water. I'm going to be putting it in the trailer mm. and I'm hoping there'll be some small shops somewhere or refill from well there, there's no refill from that there, there is no stream oh. there is no oh. there's no water course it's the sort of territory where a hundred years ago 150 years ago and more there were wells in the desert that if you knew the lay of the land and intimately you'd be able to find them mm. or, or dig a well in a certain place but i was reading a book by this guy called Peter Hopkirk. It's called The Great Game. It's all about the tensions between Russia and Imperial Britain back in the 1800s. And Russia found it very, very difficult to penetrate into Central Asia, particularly across this bit that I'm going through. One of the main reasons it's so barren, it is not an easy place to carry an army across. So how are you going to carry your tandem across? In fact, we've been sent a question, which sort of links into this, from Bryn Thompson, who's asking you how much the tandem and trailer and all your luggage weighs in at. My version of that is, how much does everything weigh? And how much will it weigh with that much water on? Yeah, um, depends how much water I take, doesn't it? By the end of it, I'll be super light because I'll be a sort of desiccated husk of a human being. I'll be <laughs> lightest I've been since I was sort of 12. Right now, I generally say it's about tandem plus bags and whatnot. 50 kilos, okay. there or thereabouts. I've never actually weighed it, but I think it's, you know, 20, 25 kilos for the tandem and probably about the same amount again. Trailer, bags, laptop, cooking kit, clothes, notebooks, saxophone, camera. Wait a second, you brought your saxophone with you? I didn't realise this. Yeah, well, this, this is the funny thing. This is actually goes back to when I was in Romania and I decided I'd just buy a saxophone. Okay. So you packed light, presumably when you restarted. Did you pack lighter than when you first started the trip back in January 2020? I think so. Yeah, slightly lighter. Mm. It's been a constant struggle because I sort of get rid of stuff and then I seem to end up acquiring new stuff. Like a saxophone. But my rule is that if I use it, it gets to stay. Okay. So I have a laptop. I'm talking into a microphone right now. Both of those things could get jettisoned because I use them at least on a weekly basis. I think it's okay. Mm. It's the stuff that never gets used that has got kicked out. Okay. I feel like we got slightly sidetracked by the fact that I was shocked that you have a saxophone with you. <laughs> but did you use it when you were on the ferry? Because you finally got this mysterious ferry that you've been waiting for for four or five weeks. And I'd like to know a bit about that. What was the ferry journey like? Well, your initial question was, did I use the saxophone on the ferry? I I did play the saxophone on the ferry. I think I ended nice. up being the most bizarre traveler that they'd ever seen. <laughs> yep. It was very peculiar and for everyone else. That I, you know, I was just, I'm not very good. You know, I, I'm practicing. I need to practice to improve. Mm-hmm. So there's me doing my scales. And there's this sort of group of three or four people just sort of watching me. And they're like, oh, can you, can you play this piece? And it's this amazing, like, jazz saxophonist. You know, I'm like, mm, no, can't. Mm-hmm. So I think I was a slightly odd, odd fish for them. But they're very, very, very friendly people. And actually, I really enjoyed the ferry crossing. I had time to read, work on my Russian, chat in Russian as well. 
yeah, I didn't really run out of things to do, which is quite nice. How long was the ferry crossing? About 24 hours. Okay. However, we thought that we were going to arrive at like midday on the Thursday. And mm. then it turned out that we arrived on midnight on the Wednesday night. So it's sort of out of nowhere, you got this like knock on our door at midnight. It's like, get up, you know, you need to get off. And it makes you realize just how efficient airports are mm. right like within mm, within an hour of landing you can be exiting the airport building yeah imagine you know, with a ferry you're within 200 meters of docking that final mm. 200 meters probably takes half an hour just because you're inching slowly and slowly because they don't want to yeah. crash anything then there was like an hour and a half of these military doctor people come on board to check that you've got your covid certificate to do whatever and then there's more waiting. And then we spent another hour in customs. So you just passport control. You know, so I actually mm-hmm. exited the port at about half four. So you know, four and a half okay. hours to kind of get through the system. Was it a freight ferry? Like you thought you would end up getting? Uh, no, it wasn't actually. It did have lorries on it, but it was actually a pretty standard ferry that also took a significant number of passengers. So it wasn't the okay. sort of sleeping between containers that I thought it could be. So you instead had a berth and space yeah I, an unpleasant journey i had a great roommate a guy called sergey who's from ukraine and he was driving a truck uh, a shipment of frozen chicken from ukraine mm-hmm. all the way to bishkek the capital of kyrgyzstan wow and he kind of rocks up i thought i was going to have the cabin to myself because he only rocked up at midnight and i was like oh, i'm already asleep why is he knocking on the door? He comes in, got a nice little sort of twinkle in his eyes. And probably the second thing he does is like gets out this bottle of vodka, honey and uh, <laughs> chili vodka. And he's like, gets out these glasses, two glasses. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to sleep quite yet. And he was just a yeah, really, really nice guy. And just like such, such warmth and friendship, mm. which I think is quite, quite remarkable, particularly coming from a British context. You might be like, oh, this person seems really nice. I might chat with them for a bit. Mm. But this is a totally different attitude. Like, well, there's going to be a new person here that I'm going to meet. Of course, I'm going to have something to share. Mm. I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to like, come on, let's let's share. So I think it was, yeah, it's very, very wonderful. Do you feel that your attitude towards meeting new people has changed over the last sort of six to 18 months? Um, I think it has. I think it's changed. And there's also sort of what I've learned in all of this. I think it's changed in that particularly going further east, and I'd say this is probably from Croatia onwards, Mm. maybe Serbia onwards, people have tended to be a lot more outwardly, spontaneously welcoming and friendly. Mm. And those kind of very spontaneous acts of kindness have become much more common. And so I feel I've become a bit more... A bit less wary, I suppose. Like, that's not, perhaps not quite the right word, but other places I've travelled, say in parts mm. of the Middle East, say Morocco is a good example, or in Cairo and mm. Egypt, people are being friendly. Then quite often those interactions are a bit more loaded than you initially think. Mm. Whereas actually through the parts of the world that I'm travelling, it's a huge part of their culture to just be friendly and expect nothing in return. Mm. And that is... It's the most wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that I've learned of like, I want to do this when I return to the UK. I think we miss a huge, huge trick yeah. in not being like this. I think actually going out on a small limb here, you know, I think we've got a lot to learn. I don't think this is a great part of British culture that we mm. just say, oh, you know, 
I don't recognize that person. I'm going to give them the cold shoulder. Mm. In other parts of the world, if there's someone that you don't recognize, it looks like they didn't come from here. You know, my first day in Kazakhstan, I'm in the supermarket. I'm like searching around to sort of I find some stuff. And this guy, Aslan, comes up to me and he's like, oh, like, do you need to help with anything? Can I just do, do anything for you? Anything at all? Okay. Does someone say something like that in the UK? It's so, so rare. It doesn't happen. I, I like it's the most wonderful thing to be the recipient of. And I think it leads to a really, really positive interaction both ways. Hmm. I think we have a lot to learn, honestly. Okay. So that's something definitely that you'll be taking away from this trip with you and hopefully bringing home and spreading it. I really hope I don't forget about this. And you yes. know, it'd be so easy to get back to UK and say, oh, everyone was really nice to me. Right, I'm now going to just focus on myself and... Yeah. Oh, you know, there's there's some guy I don't really recognise. Oh, well, I'll just do the British thing of just ignoring him. Like, I really hope mm. I don't do that. And if you see me doing that, then, yeah, call me out on it. Absolutely. So what have your first impressions been then of Kazakhstan in comparison to where you've just come from? So it's a really interesting comparison between Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan, as I've seen it so far. Obviously, this is only a tiny slither of Kazakhstan. It's a huge country. So this is only a snapshot. But there are some interesting parallels. Both Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan have got a lot of money in the last mm, two decades or so from oil wealth. Mm-hmm. To compare Baku with Aktau, you see how oil money has been spent very differently. Okay. So I feel like in Baku, they've reimagined what Baku could be. They've said, look, we got this money. We don't have to do what we did in the past. How are we going to take the city in new directions? How do we want it to look like? Uh, and so you've got these, you know, very kind of futuristic modern buildings. In Aktau, it feels like there has been an influx of money. Mm-hmm. How have they kind of just done the things that they always have? And so like there are lots of fairly grim looking apartment blocks, for instance, okay. from the Soviet era. Yeah. And there are lots of new apartment blocks, but they just look like bigger, blockier, higher, with shiny blue glass windows. Mm. And there'll be like a coffee shop bolted onto the bottom. But like in a very kind of rectangular, we're just going to sort of build out a square out of the bottom of this building, like no charm or aesthetic considered. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of quite an interesting contrast of, yes, there's been money, but I don't think to me... There's been someone who's like, oh, we could transform this city into something really exciting. But I have to like couch this all in that the Kazakh people I've met so far have been just stunningly hospitable, not just Aslan, who I met in the supermarket in Kurik, but then also Sergei, who joined me for 40Ks on the bike into Aktau and then just took me under his wing. We had dinner and just watched the sunset with some of his friends and that's been very special so i think there's a big difference between what the city appears to look like and the people within it okay so obviously you'll be traveling through kazakhstan for a while Mm. so when we speak to you next do you reckon you'll still be there i think i will be in kazakhstan probably next week i've got about five or six hundred k's to go to the border with Mm -hmm. uzbekistan that'll probably take me a bit over a week And I've got to do a funny little juggling act of getting my COVID test done, but nearer to the border where there is no city. Okay. So if I was to get my COVID test done here in Aktau, it wouldn't be within 72 hours by the time I got to the Uzbek border. Yeah. Because it's so far away. 
So I don't quite know how I'm going to handle it, but somehow I need to have got a COVID test done within 72 hours of actually crossing the border. Okay, well, good luck with that one. Thank you. Look forward to hearing how that goes and catching up with you again next week. Mm. All right. Thank you, Kate. Bye. On my second night in Aktau, I was invited to experience the real Russian banya, which involved oak branches being lashed onto my naked body in the banya, which was all, all rather fun and exciting. It was actually quite a hilarious experience, but you know, quite quite an enjoyable one as well. Lots of novelty factor in there. But also featuring in that evening was some very lovely guitar playing by a guy called Murat. And I recorded one of the Kazakh songs that he was singing, and this is it. Yeah. 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 Yeah.